0: from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show.
1: Anybody who had told you that they knew what to expect heading into wildcard weekend is a liar. You're a liar. I mean, practically a felon if they said it. Unless that person happened to tell you that Skyler Thompson and Tyler Huntley would take Josh Allen and Joe Burrow to the wire. Or that the Jags would play the best half ever and the worst half ever in the same exact game, or that Daniel Jones and Big Clock Brock would be arguably the best quarterbacks on the weekend. What I'm saying is this. The only appropriate response to anybody trying to tell you that they knew what was going to go down this weekend was the response that John Harbaugh snapped and Melissa Stark last night on camera.
2: And Tyler Huntley with that interception, you said we might see Anthony Brown. What will that take?
1: We'll just see how the game goes, okay? Thanks. Thanks, John. Hey, easy, John. My man, relax. It was hey, just a question. I'm pretty innocuous at that, especially since there was speculation that you might use two quarterbacks coming in. I mean, I know you're having a rough night, Hell, it's been a rough, rough month for the Harbaugh bros. But for a second there, it almost looked like Baltimore might pull off something amazing. And then the damnedest thing of the weekend happened and flipped the entire ball game in a moment. Right around,
3: only eight reaches. Oh, that ball's out. That's live. Back the other way, Sam Hubbard. The Cincinnati kid. Hubbard's got a convoy. Chased by Andrews. At the 30, the 20, he. Wow well,
1: score! NBC on the call. You know, I would say that that's exactly the kind of play right there that the NFL playoffs are all about, but that doesn't even do it justice. You just don't see that. The longest fumble return TD in postseason history, the longest fourth quarter go-ahead TD in playoff history, The longest TD of any kind in Bengals playoff history and the play that gave the Natty a playoff win in back-to-back seasons for the first time in franchise history. So how did that happen? The hell was going on there? What was Huntley doing going high at the goal line and not low besides asking exactly what happened or aside from asking for exactly what happened? is what I'm trying to say, because we knew what was going to happen. When you saw him go up, you knew somebody was going to punch that ball loose. Now, we may not have known that somebody else would pick it up and house it the other way, but what that turned out to be was a 14-point swing on one single play. As for Harbaugh himself, I think the dude, frankly, is an unbelievable coach. Unbelievable. I think the guy's an incredible coach. I think the guy's a great leader. The fact that they were even in position to win that game tells you all you need to know about that guy. The culture that he's created there, the grit, the toughness of that franchise. All that said, the hell was he doing with his play calling and clock management at the end of that game? How the hell does that guy not know better? He's not Mike McCarthy or one of those young, hotshot, new age coaches who have not been there before. He's John Harbaugh. He should know better, much better. Instead, Logan Wilson makes that brilliant play. He knocks it loose. And then the big man, Sam Hubbard, ran to daylight and then directly to the oxygen mask. And some credit to Mark Andrews for hitting nearly 30 miles per hour and nearly running him down. Never mind that block in the back that prevented him from doing so. So as far as me being critical of Harbaugh, Believe me, there are people who are way more credible than me who are being critical of Harbaugh. I don't know, like his star running back, for starters, because J.K. Dobbins was heated after the game, not even trying to hide his disdain over the play calling. And frankly, I don't blame that guy at all, at all. He said, quote, he should have never been in that situation. I didn't get a single carry In the red zone, I didn't get a single carry. He should have never been in that situation. I believe I would have put it in the end zone again. End of quote. I mean, wow. But then again, hard to argue with any of that, right? Hard to defend him getting only 13 carries for Dobbins in that game. Including, as JK pointed out, none in the red zone. And Dobbins was not through. He also added, quote, if we have had Lamar, we would have won too. End quote. And again, he's not wrong. And Lamar had himself a week, didn't he? Suddenly I have to wonder if the best thing that ever happened to the Ravens is still a thing at all. Like, I'm not sure who Dobbins was pointing the finger at when he said that. But I know this. Lamar announcing himself that he could not go on Twitter as opposed to the team announcing it shows how big the divide and the disconnect is between he and the team. And then him not showing at the game, him not being on the sideline, him not going to that game to support his teammates, to me, is even more glaring. I'm not saying they won't still work it out. I'm just saying right now, none of this is good. In fact, all of it is below not good. And then suddenly, something that was so unthinkable for so long might actually become a potential reality? What if the guy already has played his last game for the Ravens? Not an impossibility. And how the hell did we ever get to this point where we could actually responsibly have that discussion? And then again, who's to blame here? The team or the player? Or both? Or who... Harbors most of the blame. Of course they would have won if they had Lamar. They could have won and probably should have won even without Lamar. So that situation is bad. And they better hope it doesn't get worse before it gets better. For how much of a bleep show this team is right now, it is frankly amazing that they came as close as they did to pulling out that shocker last night. I mean, incredible. However, there was absolutely nothing, Segway, There was absolutely nothing shocking about the Vikings-Giants game. Because come to find out, the Vikings, unfortunately, proved that they are exactly who we thought they were. Fraudulent. Actually, there was something pretty shocking about that game, and that was Daniel Dimes living up to his nickname. Daniel Dimes living up to his other nickname, Vanilla Vic. Never mind Avoid being the artist formerly known as the Turnover Factory. And just asking this guy, dude, just manage the game. Don't lose the game. Never mind that dude. This dude balled the hell out. This dude played lights out using his legs and his arm. This dude freaking won that game for them. Yes, I said it. Daniel Dimes actually got them on his back balled the hell out, and did what legitimate QB1s do. Played their best on the biggest stage and gets his team to the next round. And that's got to be said. Now, I would say we all owe this guy an apology when we were all bagging on this guy, but we don't. He did deserve it, and it was for good reason, but now the dude does deserve our love and our respect and all the plaudits that he's getting because he is a much different player now than he was then. So credit to Dimes, credit to Brian Dable and the G-Men for living to fight another week. Big ups, big win. As for the Vikings, all that witchcraft and smoke and mirrors had to catch up to them. And of course it did at the worst possible time. Just like Kirk Cousins suddenly remembered who he was and reverted to the worst version of himself at the worst possible time. Never mind what he did prior to that moment or all the numbers he put up. All anybody is ever going to remember is him checking it down on 4th and 8 with the game on the line and the target nowhere near the sticks or where they had to be.
4: Here it is.
3: Here it is. Biggest play in the season right here, right, Well. 4th and 8 from the Vikings, 48. If they don't get a first down, the New York Giants win the game. Doesn't take the snap. Thibodeau hurt. throws right, Quad Hawkinson shy of the first down, and he stopped at the Giants 49, and uh, the New York Giants are heading to Philadelphia for the divisional round of the postseason, having beaten the Minnesota Vikings 31-24. But uh, that whole operation there, man, that, I mean, that was just super short.
1: I mean, on the one hand, sad PA is the saddest thing ever. I hate that so much. But he turns into pissed P.A. too. I mean, that's a brutal way to lose. And, and what's sadder than sad P.A.? I hate that. I hate that. I'm talking with Jay Woods of Omega Tax Credits about small businesses under 500 employees qualifying for a tax refund from a new program. Tell me again, Jay, how long does it take for somebody saying, yeah, I don't know, I probably don't qualify. I'm saying find out because you don't know. How long does it take for them to find out? You don't have a more important 10 minutes in your day than these 10 minutes, that's it. 800-704-2000 or go to omegataxcredits.com and find out. Jay is right for your business. There is not a more important 10 minutes. You let, never mind letting yourselves down. Never mind letting your employer down. Never mind letting your fans down. You let the great PA down. Man, I hate that. Hate that for him. But what an amazing way for the Giants to finally get another playoff win. Who knew that all they needed was to get rid of Joe, the leader of men. And let a real leader take over. Because that's what Brian Dable is. Man, he is that dude. He is that dude. And he got his G-men to peak at exactly the right time. I cannot begin to stress what an incredible job that Dable has done. And what an unbelievable hire that was. Even if my guy looks like he gains 10 pounds every single week. Is it me or is that not how that appears? He looks like he puts on 10 LBs every single week. But who cares, man? They're prepared, they're disciplined, and they advance. My man, keep fueling whatever you're fueling with, Dave's. Because while you look like you put on an additional 10 every single week, you look like a freaking giant, a genius, a boss. In fact, my man, why don't you tell me what that menu is? I want to start eating it. Can't quite say the same thing, though, about his former team. The Buffalo Bills did not play an amazing game. In fact, there were some moments. They had a few moments, but it looked like a blowout early on, and in the end, they barely hold on. To beat a Miami team that came in reeling and was Skyler Thompson at quarterback. So credit for Miami for showing up the way they did and giving the Bills hell again. That's three times that that's happened this year. And yes, Buffalo did survive and they did advance and that's what matters. But let me tell you something else that matters. They're not going to win anything that matters against anyone who matters playing like that. That might be good enough against a busted-up Miami team with a seventh-round rookie under center. But good enough is not nearly good enough. Not for the Buffalo Bills. Not for a team that's built to win it all right bleeping now. But if they keep playing like that, and they continue to play like that, they're not getting out of the divisional round, much less going to make it to Arizona for the big prize. And then one more thought. How mind-blowing is it that the two quarterbacks taken in the final 16 picks of last April's draft started games this weekend, and even more incredible, they nearly both won. As bumpy as that ride was with Skyward Thompson, reality is he didn't get a whole lot of help either. How many rough drops did Miami have early on? And no run game, and they couldn't get the plays in, and yet somehow, someway, they came back from down 17-0 and getting blown out to actually taking a lead late in the third, 24-20. And the biggest reason for that, unfortunately, were three Josh Allen turnovers, him getting sloppy with the ball again. And, again, he'd be the first one to tell you the turnovers are not cool. Uh,
3: I mean, it was pretty sloppy. was It wasn't pretty by any means, you know. Uh, tried to give it away there, but our defense stepped up. Uh, guys made some plays. It's the playoffs. I mean, credit to them. They had a really good game plan coming into it. Um, We found a way. That's all that matters.
1: I mean, I'll never not respect his ownership and his ability to lead from the front. And finding a way to win is pretty much all that matters. But the sloppiness with the ball has got to stop. He knows it. The Bills Mafia knows it. Everybody knows it. It's been the story all season. And if he doesn't get that cleaned up, it ultimately is going to be Buffalo's downfall. Whether it's Burrow... Or Mahomes, leading the other team, that might be enough against Miami and the last team in and Skyward Thompson, but not teams that are legitimate Super Bowl threats. And then Thompson, I got to say, seriously, he actually did a hell of a job in a really tough spot. And it even looked like it might be going to overtime when Miami had a fourth and one in midfield right before the two-minute warning, but then the Dolphins, for some reason, could not get a play in. And they took that devastating delay of game that was essentially sticking the dagger into themselves. And before I wrap up this enormous opening block, I want to say this about Mike McDaniel. You know I love Mike McDaniel. You know this is a big, big Mike McDaniel house. The dude to me is amazing. And he led an amazing Dolphins effort in a really rough spot yesterday. There's a reason why there were such enormous dogs coming in. And I don't know that he did do this, although it looked like he did this. But my guy, and I know your process works, and I know your Ivy League, and I know you're genius, and I love you. But maybe you put down that vape pen, allegedly, but it sure looked like it, Ali. Maybe you put down that vape pen and hustle in the plays in crunch time, my dude. If you missed it, social media appeared to catch McDaniel ripping a drag off a of vape on the sideline. And I can't confirm it. It's one of those things like if you want to believe it, you're going to believe it. And a lot of people want to believe it. And it certainly looked like it. I don't know. It, it, if he's... If he did do it, he's not the first, but it's not the best, but at least it's still better than ripping actual heaters on the sideline. That actually used to be a thing back in the day. Coaches burning lung darts on NFL sidelines. I think, hell, even John Madden, I think, used to rip a sig back in the day. At least the vape pen is a better option than that, but still kind of a bizarre look. Like, my man, you can't get through a game without hitting that thing. Anyway, you know it was a wild, wild weekend when we're talking head coach vape hits on the sideline. But that's the playoffs for you, especially, quote, super wild card weekend. You never know what you're going to get, which is why you just have to see how the game goes, okay? We'll just see how the game goes, okay? This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection, the latest innovation from Discover? Discover will help routinely remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash online privacy protection. Ross Tucker, NFL. Ross, what's going on? How are you?
2: Jim, I am fantastic, man. Still basking in the glow of an epic weekend. How about yourself? Oh,
1: good. I'm great. I was going to ask you that very thing, Ross. I was going to say, I thought that the moniker Super Wild Card Weekend was pretty lame, except it pretty much lived up to that super lame handle. What a wild weekend. How did it go for you?
2: It was awesome. I mean, well, two things, right? So first of all, I called the Bills Dolphins. So you'll appreciate this. I drove up to uh, up there near Buffalo early Saturday morning, skied all morning at Holiday Valley, uh, had lunch with Seth Payne, the former 10 year NFL guy who went to Cornell. Then for dinner, met up with a bunch of Ross Tucker podcast listeners. And we just crushed wings at Barbell Tavern, Labatt Blue Light. It was amazing. It was awesome. And then, much to my surprise, the game ended up being way better than I was expecting. I called the Dolphins Bills, and especially when it was 17 nothing, Jim, and the, and the Bills up, I thought, oh, boy, going to be one of those games. I'm already thinking about what I'm going to say during the second half, but a funny thing happened that the Dolphins just kept playing. The Bills started turning the football over, and they made a game of it, and that was kind of the whole weekend. I mean, every one of the five games – had at least one lead change, who would have thought that the seven-seed Dolphins would have the lead in the second half or the seven-seed Seahawks would have the lead at halftime? It was amazing.
1: Amazing. Ross Tucker joining us. So, Ross, where does that lead Buffalo? For instance, they did what they had to do. They survived. They advanced. But clearly, that kind of play is not going to be enough to win it all. Was that one off afternoon after a couple of really emotional weeks? Or is this kind of who they are, essentially who they are?
2: I think it's kind of who they are, and I think it's, unfortunately or fortunately, kind of who Josh Allen is. I mean, he is probably my favorite quarterback in the NFL to watch. He's just unbelievably gifted and entertaining. But it does seem like, you know, he's loose with the football. I mean, I'm actually surprised he doesn't fumble more the way he holds it. And obviously, the fumble that was returned for a touchdown was gigantic. Um, and he does have some interceptions. He leads the NFL in interception in the red zone. So that's not a predictive stat, Jim, meaning they might roll the Bengals on Sunday, right? Like they might not have any turnovers. They might kill the Bengals. But if we're talking about winning the whole thing, they got to win three more games. And it just seems like at least one of those three games, Josh will probably have a game where he has a couple turnovers again. And it probably will cost them. It'll probably be the reason why they don't win at all. I think that's
1: fair. Ross Tucker joining us. Speaking of the Bengals, I mean, they were on the ropes before Tyler Huntley jumped up and tried to break the plane of the goal line only to have the ball punched loose. And Sam Hubbard, of course, pick it up, Ross, and take it 98 yards to the house. Have you ever seen a single bigger swing play than that?
2: I don't think so. And And I tweeted that last night at Ross Tucker NFL, and everybody's like, Oh, dude, Harrison against the Cardinals, you moron. I I get it. I I remember James Harrison's play in the Super Bowl. Certainly that's a a more important game. But that was also second quarter. And I don't know. The Cardinals were what? Like at the 8-yard line or the 10-yard line? Jim, Tyler Huntley was like a foot away from a touchdown to take the lead midway through the fourth quarter. I mean, you, you can't get any closer than Tyler Huntley was with the football without scoring a touchdown to give the Ravens a surprise lead. And all of a sudden, the ball gets knocked out, goes right into a DN's hands, who takes it 98, 99 yards, whatever it was the other way. I mean, it just totally that, – that play was the game. That one play was the game. It's wild. And there's a lot that can be be talked about from that, including one is that's not great coaching by the Ravens. You know, he's got to know you can't do that unless you're easily able to get over the top. I mean, he was too far away. And so maybe it's an experience or whatever, but I know, you know, those guys are taught, especially like if it's first, second, or third down, even when you're reaching for the pylon, you don't put the ball out of there like that because obviously if someone knocks it out and goes out of the back of the end zone, it's a touchback. So there are times where you do that, and there are times where you do not do that. Huntley was too far away, and also, it wasn't even like it was fourth down.
1: For all those reasons, I'm shocked that that happened on a John Harbaugh coach team. Like, I I love the guys to coach, but his play calling and clock management, Ross, down the stretch, left something to be desired, of course. Speaking of coaching, what about the Chargers, Ross? I mean, like, after the game, you've got Charger players saying – Brandon Staley's our guy. We love him. We love him. And maybe they do. They have kind of a funny way of showing it, blowing a 27-point lead. Maybe they do. But if you're the Chargers brass, what do you do with Staley now? Could you do better? Should they try and do better? How do they handle that?
2: There's a lot here. Number one, I think they should, behind the scenes, think think and see if they can get somebody better, like a Sean Payton, maybe a Jim Harbaugh. If you can't, they probably stick with Staley, There's a couple issues here that really concern me, Jim. Number one, okay, he wanted to play his starters against the Broncos. Okay, you know, we can have that argument. I think it's a terrible decision, obviously, but he played his starters. They didn't get the rest. They lost the game, by the way. We, like, lose sight of that, and Mike Williams gets hurt. Here's the things that bother me. After the game, he was asked about it, and he said, well, you know, you can't really rest, guys. You're only allowed to dress 48 guys. Hey, Brandon, we all saw Brian Dayball, who, by the way, is the coach of the year in the NFL, not play his 10 best guys against the Eagles. What are you talking about? Like, stuff like that bothers me. Come out and say, listen, I don't want the guys to get rusty or, you know, I really wanted to win the game. Don't come up with a nonsensical reason that we can all debunk immediately. And then four days later, when Mike Williams doesn't practice, or three days later, and you're asked about him not getting reps, you say, Oh, at this point of the year, rest is more important than reps. Brandon, wh- again, what are you talking about? You just said on Sunday that you just played all your guys on Sunday. To me, that reeks, Jim, of not being prepared. I, I don't know if it's media training or whatever, but you knew if, you, it, if Jim Rome had a press conference, In both instances, you would know they would ask you that, and you would have a better answer than that. I mean, you'd have a much better – you'd have at least something that makes some logical sense. And then for Williams to be ruled out, I wonder where the trust is with the team with him. Because if I'm one of those veteran offensive linemen, first of all, I wouldn't have wanted to play against the Broncos. I would have wanted the rest because any NFL player will tell you if you can give them anything – they wouldn't say make me a little faster, a little stronger. Just let me feel a little bit better for the game late in the season. Just let me feel as healthy as I can, as fresh as I can. Well, he didn't do that for the guys. And then they lost their best skill guy as a result of it. I mean, I, I, don't, I know what these guys are saying publicly, but I've got to think deep down some of them have sort of lost their trust and faith in Staley as a result. He hurt their ability to win a playoff game by hurting Mike Williams in a meaningless game.
1: You, Ross, answered a question that I did not ask, and I'm so glad you did because I was going to say, are they looking themselves in the mirror or are they looking at their coach? Ross, before you go, what about tonight? All right, so Bucks minus two and a half, or I should say Cowboys minus two and a half against the Bucks. How are you playing this one, and how do you see this game playing out because I need to get right after getting my ass kicked yesterday?
2: <laughs> well, so first of all, I think it's a great teaser leg. Right, You can take the Bucs up to plus eight and a half, pair it with the Chiefs down to minus two and a half as a two-team, six-point teaser. Love that play. If, if you're not into teasers or whatever, I'd probably lay that two and a half with the Cowboys. They're, they're, they're a significantly better team. And can you even imagine? I mean, tomorrow, you're going to start your show with whether or not Mike McCarthy gets fired if the Cowboys lose tonight. Damn straight
1: I am. You know I am, no matter what Dak says.
2: And I think he will. I, I think he will get fired. I think, like, Jerry Jones isn't getting any younger, Jim. If they lose tonight and they can't even win a playoff game, they can't even beat the eight and nine bucks, I'm telling you, I believe Jerry Jones will call up Sean Payton and say, Sean, Let's, let, we got to do this I got, I can't wait around anymore I got to get back to a Super Bowl or at least a conference championship game or something you know we got the roster you know we got some players here I need you I think McCarthy's gone if the Cowboys lose tonight
1: so we have to leave right now Ross I agree with you and then if the bucks lose I think Brady is gone but I think that McCarthy going is even more dramatic of all the things that could happen than Brady leaving he is Ross Tucker you can follow him at Ross Tucker NFL he's got a podcast too which is awesome the Ross Tucker football podcast my man it is great to run you down I know you had yourself a weekend Ross I appreciate you coming on thanks so much of course anytime thank you Jim so quick question why is old Trapper beef jerky so amazing let's start with the fact that it is a family-run business a family business which stands by quality and produces the world's best beef jerky now, I've made this point many, many times, and I want to make it again right now. Beef jerky is not just beef jerky. I think some of you go to the store, and you reach for the beef jerky, and you think it's all the same. In fact, you might not even know what you're buying. That's a big mistake. Stop making that mistake. All beef jerky is not the same. In fact, there's nothing like Old Trapper. It is simply the best. Four mouth-watering flavors, so you can get your choice of whatever you want. Myself, I like them all the same. I bounce back and forth between each and every one of them. So you can do the same thing. They come in four-ounce bags. If you need to learn, do it that way. If you already know what you want, go with the 18-ouncer. That way there's enough for everybody, the entire unit, the entire family, the entire team. If you do not see it, ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? I mean, I I hate to do this, but it is the job. It's going to hurt me a lot more than it hurts you probably. Because you're probably still numb. You're probably still numb. I didn't think it was possible for any of you Charger fans to actually feel any more pain. Or any more feelings, really. Not after that unfathomable disaster on Saturday night. Like, that's a nightmare that you may never wake up from and probably never do want to wake up from. But at least the party is on in Duval. Duval. That's why I'm going to track down Fred Taylor in the third hour. Where is the queen, Miss Nika? Neeks, where are you? Those tenderonies did not stand a freaking chance on Saturday night. I mean, holy crap, Duval! could you have taken us on a more insane ride than that? The worst half of football ever, and then the best half of football ever, in the same exact night. Trevor Lawrence just had the biggest disaster of a playoff debut possible, and then leads one of the most stunning comebacks in the history of the Shield, in the very same game. I mean, I saw it, and I still can't believe any of it happened. It's been a day and a half- and it's still hard to wrap my head around or even process how is it even possible for even the chargers to gag away a 20 27 nothing lead even if that is who they are and even if it is what they do and even if it is where they live even if all of that is the most charger thing ever that still can't happen you can't choke you cannot choke a 27-point lead away in a playoff game. It simply cannot happen. It can't, yet it did. So again, I hate to say it. Number one, I didn't think even they had that in them. And number two, because they do, it is the most Charger thing ever. On the other side, how is it even possible that the Jags look like the Jeff Saturday Colts, but the Andy Reid Chiefs in the same game? What an amazing breakthrough for Jacksonville, for Trevor Lawrence, for the organization, for everybody involved. A major, massive breakthrough. And again, as we've been talking about, what a massive step backwards for the Bolts. I mean, there's nothing more annoying or more moronic than the term chargers-ing or "chargering," except for maybe fail clowns. Fail clowns. But unfortunately, people use moronic terms like that for a reason. And on Saturday, the Chargers actually did outfail even the fail clowns. Out choke even twenty-eight to three. And yes, I did use the word choke. What other word would you use to describe blowing a twenty-seven nothing lead in a playoff game? It's like twenty-eight three? Please. 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 The fail clowns can hold our beer. can also be blown, and we're about to prove it, y'all.
3: Cook puts it down. Patterson's kick is up. The field goal is good! 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 The Jaguars have won it! The Jaguars have won it! They have come back from 27-0 to win the game and move on! How good is
2: that?! That's what I'm
1: talking about. Was the kick good? Good, good,
2: good.
1: Jaguar Radio. Hey, Duval, I'm hype for you. You know I am. You know I am. Y'all deserve this. Y'all deserve that just as much as Charger Fan did not deserve that. Hopefully, there are some Charger fans still left after that. And like I said, I'm never looking to get anybody fired ever, ever. But you blow a 27-point lead in the playoffs, somebody's getting fired because it's a fireable offense. I'm not saying who because I don't know, but somebody will take that fall. It cannot happen. And if it does, it's going to cost somebody their gig because that choke job is pretty historic. And if it doesn't cost the head coach's gig, somebody on the staff is going to be the fall guy. And again, while Brandon Staley is not without blame, far from it, Players also are not without blame. Again, I thought that was really interesting what Ross Tucker said, that regardless of what the players are saying publicly, that may not be what they really think, and that there may have been a loss of trust. I'm really curious. I mean, when you decide whether or not to bring back this head coach, and again, I like Brandon Staley. I think that in terms of building relationships – being a younger coach who brings a different type of analytical approach to it. I think there's a lot to like about him. But, and I don't know what's going on in that locker room, because I'm not in that locker room. However, just going off of what Ross said, if you lose the trust of your team, it's nearly impossible to get back. How do you get it back? Unless there's so much goodwill built up. But again, he's not the only one to blame. You want to talk about guys losing their minds at the wrong time. And also part of that's coaching, but then guys which should know better. Like, I'm looking at you, Joey Bosa, another guy that I really, really like. But taking really dumb penalties and throwing your helmet around like a four-year-old is not helping matters either, especially when it's all going to hell. This is a big Chargers house. You all know this, but you also know I've got to call it the way I see it. And what I saw on Saturday night... What I saw on Saturday night, what I saw on Saturday night was an embarrassment and an all-time choke job and the sort of night that, while it may not define you forever, it's the kind of implosion that can wreck not just the night or the season, but reputations and legacies unless you get back and you can somehow make people forget that it happened in the first place, and that's a really hard thing to do. Somehow, the dude, the only dude who looks worse, wasn't even in the building for that game. And I'm talking about you, Pervin Liar. Somehow, the biggest head coaching disaster in NFL history just keeps getting worse and worse. He wasn't even in the building, and it keeps getting worse and worse for him. Yes, what happened to the Chargers was devastating and heartbreaking. It was
2: devastating. Heartbreaking.
1: And yet, Perv, who's got nothing to do with anything continues to look worse without doing anything. Because it turns out getting you the hell out of the way, getting you the hell out of that building was the greatest thing that ever happened to the Jags. Hiring you might have been the worst thing that ever happened to the Jags, but breaking you off and sawing you off has set this entire franchise free. And Doug Peterson somehow, someway rebuilt that whole thing <clears throat> from the ashes and the culture. And you know what the best part about Doug Peterson is? He's not Pervin Liar. He builds guys up instead of kicking them when they're down. Literally. Look out for Duval. I said it going into the weekend. I said they are dangerous. They're dangerous. Now, they do have a tough one next week in Kansas City. It's true. But way more importantly, they have one in their back pocket. It's going to take them to the next level. They've got their quarterback. They've got their head coach. They've got their future. They've got an owner who is totally all in and will admit a mistake if he makes one. And then you have the Chargers, and they only have some of that. They've got their quarterback. I'll give you that. You know what else? One more thing really quickly. The Jags have their quarterback, and the thing I love about Trevor Lawrence, never mind they have the worst half ever, and somehow, some way, kept it together, bounced back, and then had the best half ever. But how about that celebration? How about that post game celebration? How does the Jags leader of men celebrate? At the Waffle House, of course. It's yeah! hey, Trevor. Good on you, dude. My concern is my other guy, Justin. He's not gonna have a barbecue. Certainly not a victory barbecue. But not that barbecue that I've been trying to get an invite to. He's not having one of those barbecues after Saturday. And if he is, I know I'm not invited. I'm talking with Jay Woods of Omega Tax Credits about small businesses. Under 500 employees qualifying for a tax refund from a new program. Tell me again, Jay, how long does it take for somebody saying, yeah, I don't know, I probably don't qualify. I'm saying find out because you don't know. How long does it take for them to find out? You don't have a more important 10 minutes in your day than these 10 minutes. That's it. 800-704-2000, 800-704-2000, or go to OmegaTaxCredits.com and find out. Jay is right for your business. There is not a more important 10 minutes. He is Fred Taylor. Fred, my man, it has been a minute, but it is great to have you on the show. Fred, how are you?
5: Hey, Jim, pretty good, man. How about yourself? Uh, I appreciate you having me on. It's always a pleasure, first and foremost. But damn, 1998, that seems like yesterday, but it also seems like... Some, sometime back when the dinosaurs were around. My man, i I, seemed like forever ago.
1: Fred, I I feel you, dude. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm just jumping in because I feel you. Because it's like we came up together, right? When you were playing, you were coming on this show. When we talk about time, when you talk about years, I know exactly, exactly what you're talking about. It was either five minutes ago or five centuries ago, but I feel you. And it's great to hear your voice, man. I appreciate you so much. I got to ask, Fred, as an all-time Jaguar great, what was it like for you to watch the Jags pull off the third biggest comeback in NFL postseason history?
5: Uh, let me say this, hands down, the best game that I've ever witnessed in person, uh, been associated with anything that I've ever seen. You know, you see games like the, uh, the Vikings indie comeback, you know, games of such. But uh, to, to be in the stadium, to be a part of the organization, just to see the fans in place, just everything, it was so beautiful, man. And I commend Trevor Lawrence, holy moly. That guy. You know, just being able to have the mental capacity to not flinch or fold and to lead a singing back and uh, Doug Peterson, just everybody and how it just all came together, it was, it was amazing. It was so amazing.
1: Fred Taylor joining us. I'm so glad you brought that up like that. Fred, I was going to say, you look at Trevor Lawrence, right? He's got that pedigree. He's got the arm talent. There's so much expected from the first pick overall. But after seeing him throw four picks in the first half, I mean, did you know the guy well enough to know that, you know what, we're still in this thing. This guy does have the wherewithal to bounce back and have the second half. did you think, even for a guy like that, that's just too much to ask?
5: You know, uh, going into the game, I I saw this one uh, captionated meme or clip floating around on social media, that he had never, dating back to high school, he never lost on a Saturday. You know, and for that, I'm like, okay, that's interesting. But then we start the game, you know, like second play of the game will have you, you know, both the ball, boom, interception point, blank range. Then we come back up on the fourth and seventh, uh, a play that I thought should have put, been a, a pass interference, end up being an interception uh, with a great field position by the Chargers then the third interception later on, same thing, point-blank range. So we were just gifting the Chargers the ball. And I know just looking at him, he was like, dang. But he didn't scan miss helmet. You know, you can see, still see it was um, attention to detail. let stayed stay the course no matter what. And the fourth one, I had taken a restroom break from my set um, and what I do for the Jaguars on game day. And I heard it over the intercom. I'm like, whoa. That's, a, that's tough. All in one half? That got to be a record. So those are the things I'm thinking to myself. Never that, okay, how is Trevor? How is Trevor? But I uh, talking to a few people. They said Trevor was the same old Trevor. He said, look, I'm going to play better. I just need y'all to keep playing. And, you know, you need – I think that's a leadership quality. Obviously, he won on every level prior to the NFL. But that's good. And it's amazing for me to call him, you know, my franchise quarterback because I am still a Jaguar so and I firmly believe that and he's shown so much maturation compared to last year and what he's doing now for the you know, for the organization and the way he's leading these guys and how the team is leaning on him. The players, they're leaning on him. You know, so uh, I, I really think that's such a huge step, you know, for Trevor, you know, especially when you compare it to his rookie campaign and everything he had to deal with you know, surrounded with uh, Coach Urban Meyer and all that stuff. And he will not speak to that because he's such a pro. You know, he's saying, look, last year's last year. I'm, I'm focused on this year. And you got to love someone like that.
1: We were talking to Fred Taylor. What extraordinary praise coming from somebody like you, Fred. And for you to say that, and as an all-time Jaguar great and an NFL great, that that was the best game you've ever seen in person, I think, really speaks to it. Hey, Fred, one sidebar. You mentioned a helmet and you mentioned leadership. As somebody who played at the highest level and had the career you had and a national champion and on and on, I'm kind of curious. We were talking about this on the program earlier. Can you weigh in on this? When Bosa threw his helmet and Brandon Staley picked it up, what did you think of the move by the coach? And would guys who are on that team see that and not lose respect for a coach picking up a guy's helmet? Or is that an overreaction on my part?
5: You know, I, it, it all depends on the relationship at that place, right? Uh, the relationship that's at hand. Bailey, he's a he's a younger guy. I can tell you this. Coach Coughlin wouldn't have picked it up for Hell me. Hell no. Or any, of, or any of his players. You know, but the game has evolved so much, we got to say – you know, my my time with uh, Coach Coughlin was '98 to like 2003, so that's you know over 20 years ago almost um, for the latter part of it uh, there. But uh, you know, you got some old school coaches who don't believe in that. Coach Belichick, I don't think Coach uh, I don't think Bill would have picked up Tom's helmet. You know, um, so I don't think it's an overreaction, but I do think that you know based on the player to coach relationship. Maybe he was trying to calm his star player down. You know, I don't think it was a, you know, an ass-kitching type of a move. But, you know, coaches have their little mind tricks that they use to try to get their star guys and keep them from being so frustrated. So I'll just go back to their, you know, specific relationship and lean on that.
1: Fred Taylor joining us. I think that's an extremely reasonable response, to be honest. I, I like that a lot, actually. So, Fred, what do you – I want to ask you, like, fourth and short late. Most assume Trevor Lawrence would just sneak it. I mean, why not do this 6-6? Instead, he gives it to Travis Etienne, who breaks it outside for 25. I mean, an unbelievable play call. You know what it takes to be a dominant back. What do you like best about Travis's game?
5: You know, first, first let me uh, call out that play right there. Yep. If you go back to this year's Rose Bowl – uh Penn State ran it in the Robo, in the Rose Bowl, I think and on a third and two situation before they went in to score. Um so it's a copycat league all across the board, first and foremost. Uh Coach Peterson pulled that one out of the hat, which is an amazing design. Uh just noticing that the Chargers in short yardage, uh they were gonna go in man. He put Evan Eram outside, motioning them down They crack it in knowing that ETN was going to have the ability to bounce outside and be one-on-one versus a cornerback. And he took full advantage of that opportunity because he's as fast as a cornerback. Uh, he's, he's dynamic. He's explosive. He has an amazing stiff arm. I love his vision the most. You know, he gets to certain plays and certain opportunities because he has great vision, uh, great jump cut, being able to get outside. He can pound it up in the middle. Uh, not a big guy but still has the ability to pound it up in the middle because he runs with authority. You know, he has good shoulder pad lean. Uh, What I like to see Travis do better, obviously, is ball security. There have been times when he goes in there with two hands on it, somehow the defenders are still able to get it out. And I'm sure he could also, you know, say the same thing, that he would like to be better with the ball this year. Uh, but yeah, I think overall we have a good back in Travis. They they good enough that they traded off uh, James Robinson, who's also a pretty decent back. So um, I think with those some guys back there, the offense has a lot of firepower. Then we bring in Jay Jones, you know, you throw in Marvin Jones, you throw in Christian Kirk, with the addition of Evan Ingram, you know, there are a lot of unselfish guys there. You know, and and they've all played well. They've been pretty consistent. Trevor has his targets. And um, this is the reason why the Jaguars have improved this year dramatically on offense. They're one of the best offenses in the business this year.
1: I love the weapons he has, and I love his utilization of those weapons. Fred Taylor is an all-time Jaguar. Great, breaking it down for us. A couple of quick things before you go, and I want to talk about your podcast, too. The Jags have a significant challenge, Fred, in heading to KC to take on Patrick Mahomes and the top-seeded Chiefs. What do you think they have to do to extend this incredible season? What's most important?
5: You know, just make sure, one, always take care of the football. You want to take care of the football, and then on the other side, you want to try your best to be opportunistic. You know, continue to have that mentality of them, but don't break because the Chiefs are going to get what the Chiefs are going to get. You know, they're going to get theirs. Andy Reed, he, he's a mastermind when scripting up the game plan for the week. He has all of the tools and Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, the addition of Juju Smith, Juju Smith, and a few other guys around. And one of my Gators, we got to throw uh, Tony out there, put him in the mix. I thought that was a great pickup by them to utilize them and take full advantage. Jacksonville knows the weapon. But what we have to do is bend, don't break, make sure you communicate well, and just continue to believe in each other. You know, when the entire world was writing them off, only the people in the locker room were believing in them. You know, I'm looking at draft slotting, but I'm also at the same time saying, well, we've been in a lot of close games. You know, I can go back to a few games, Jim, and call out a player, two that decided that game. And if you can remember those type matchups, you could say it could have gone either way, like the Vikings season. But Jacksonville, just got to stay the course. Stay the course. It's going to be loud. It's going to be crazy. They know that. They just played there a couple months ago. So go back, look at that old tape, look at what they've done well, look at what Kansas has done well in the past three to four weeks, and then say, okay, Let's go out here and just play. Let's study up. Let's play fast. Let's minimize our mistakes. And hopefully, they can come back home with the divisional champ win.
1: Fred Taylor joining us. It would be an amazing thing. It's already an amazing story, but what an amazing thing that would be. Fred, I want to ask you something, and it's kind of a personal observation, and I think this is awesome. Like, when you played. You played in Jacksonville, which was kind of a small market, and you were somebody that you always let your play do your talking for you. And again, this was a long time ago. The world has changed. The media has changed. It's so different than when you and I came up. But I want to say a couple of things. Number one, you always let your play do your talking for you. You were not a guy looking to jump in front of a camera. Number two, you were always good to me. You were always good to me and always good to the show and always successful to us, so I always appreciated that. And then number three, what's really interesting, not only do you do an amazing interview like this today, but you are the co-host on an enormous podcast, which I find even more fascinating because, well, times have changed and you were a guy that always let your play speak for itself. Tell me about The Pivot, you and Ryan Clark and Channing Crowder. How did the three of you come together for this project and how much fun are you having doing that?
5: Man, having an amazing time, uh learning a lot from Ryan. I think he's a beast, you know, at what he does with ESPN and you know, every everything that he touches. He's very good. Um and and as a journalist, analyst, etc. Channing Crowder, obviously Channing has been the star of the show. He goes uh Tanning goes viral, I think, almost every week. He's just wow, he don't he doesn't care. Uh <laughs> he was like a young Jim just just wide open. Let's go, baby. Uh, it's but, great. You know, we, um, Shannon and I, we were on another podcast, and uh, we decided to, uh, you know, leave that podcast and go do our own thing. And we ended up linking up with Ryan. Ryan said he was down. And we just came together and said uh, we got we to got pivot from that old situation. That wasn't a great situation business-wise. So we had to pivot and do our own thing. And we came up with the pivot as a name. We, we ironed out the business part up, and we just worked uh, tremendously together. And I still learned from those guys. As you said, I, I was quiet. I was kind of shy. I wasn't so much into the media back in the day. I just wanted to play ball, you know, go home, and enjoy friends and family, spend a few dollars here and there. And that's all I did when I was younger. Uh, and I'm, I was here thinking, Jim, the first time I came on your show, I was at Disney, the Wild World of Disney, and we ended up doing an interview there. Way, way long ago, man, and I really appreciate those opportunities that you gave me to come on on your platform. So, um, man, it's certainly always a pleasure, and we're gonna keep building the pivot. We got a lot in store. Just got to keep grinding it out,
1: man. Good for you, Fred. I, I mean this sincerely, and I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to be patronizing, but I'm really proud of you. I think it's an amazing thing because you were more introverted and were about the game, and look how well. I mean, look how well you're doing right now because, quote, you made the pivot. You made the pivot, and you reinvented, and it's great. And, by the way, as you and I get older – and I think some of my listeners understand this because the ones who go far back with us will remember you coming on. These relationships absolutely mean the world to me. I mean, it pumps me up that you remember that you and I came together, and you can remember the first time we spoke way back in the day. So I really oh, yeah. appreciate hearing that, and it's so good to have you on the show, Fred. I appreciate you, and it's great to get caught up, my guy.
5: Hey, My pleasure. Anytime, man. I'm going a, I'm a, I'm a to take the call away. You guys got my contact. It's always a pleasure. I wouldn't miss it for anything. And I I say that from my heart. Keep going,
1: man. We go to Jacksonville. Danica. What's going on, Danica? How you living?
4: Rome, how the tables have turned. I no longer have to look for the Tenderonis. The Tenderonis come looking for me. Now, granted, it was probably because it was extremely cold game. They were slamming Casamigos since 8 a.m. and they were looking for warmth. But, hey, I take on all takers, okay? But... Not once, when Trevor Lawrence threw those four interceptions in the first half, did we waver. We knew what we have in this team and the players on this team. So, when he came out in the second half with the biggest stones and the biggest case of amnesia and put this team on his back within a three, with the three points, then the two points to win the game, Duval stood up. We were with this team, okay? And I know Dable has got the Giants playing well, winning good, but Dougie P you got to give it to him. He, you know what we had last year. The coach has should not be named, okay? So I just want to put the rest of the NFL on notice. We have the quarterback. We have the coach, okay? We have nothing to lose. Play with us if you want to, okay? I'm out.
1: Rocker. She's the queen. Rack him. Sounded like she was, like, making her call from a cubicle, too. Like, she had to get in. Wherever it was, Queen Neeks. You got it. Racker. her. I love it. In Buffalo, the R-I-B. Brother, what's up?
0: Like Vic and no Cal's mom, yesterday's win wasn't pretty. And also, like Vic and NoCal's mom, the Bills had just enough to finish the job. You know the old saying, Jim. It doesn't matter if you leave the bar with a 2 or a 10. They all look the same when you get home and turn off the lights. In other words... A win is a win, and nobody gives a damn about style points. Now you'll have to forgive me for my raspy voice, Jim. I spent all day at the stadium yesterday yelling at people, most notably Bill's offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey. This idiot calls plays like he's hammered, playing super techno ball at 3 in the morning. Okay, Josh, drop back, heave it as far as you can, and we'll pray for a miraculous leaping catch. Hey, Waldo, feel free to mix in a crossing route, well-designed screen, or anything else that doesn't take three years to develop. Better yet, just turn the reins over to 17 and let them run the K-gun. This offense should be putting up 50 a game, and we'd better if we're going to beat Burrow and Mahomes. And I couldn't tell if that tool on the Dolphins' sideline yesterday was Mike McDaniel or Adam Hawk. They're both clueless about football, addicted to weed, and make really stupid decisions in the eye of the public. And one quick story from yesterday, Jim, before getting out, the a-hole behind me tried telling me to sit down during the game. I would've beat his ass on the spot, but a felony assault wouldn't be too good a look at this point in my career. So I went passive aggressive, and just farted in his face for five hours. Hope you enjoyed the Bud Light and Chili as much as I did, big guy. War of the Bills getting it together and playing a complete game this Sunday. War of DeMar Hamlin leading the charge out of the tunnel. War of this franchise finally getting back to the Super Bowl. A midwinter trip to Arizona sounds damn good right about now. Thanks for the vine, Jim. Who loves you, baby?
1: Let's go to Massachusetts, Dennis in Mass. Good to have you, Dennis. What's up? How are you?
3: Hey, Jim. How are you? Great. So you talked to Fred Taylor, Rich in Buffalo, and the Queen. Now you're going to talk to the King of New York Giant football, Dennis from Massachusetts. So before I go on with my boys Brian Dable and Daniel Jones, I'm going to make a quick comparison with Urban Meyer in Jacksonville and Trevor Lawrence, Joe Judge in New York, with Daniel Jones. And Matt Patricia with Matt uh, Matt Patricia with Mac Jones in New England, a coach that only could coach boys, not men, is out of football. Joe Judge shouldn't even coach minor league football, and Matt Patricia should never be on the side of an offensive football team in the history of the NFL. So good luck to all of those three. But let's talk about Giants football with Dable and Jones. This is a gen- uh, head coach along with the general manager who taking taken an organization finally on the right path after six years of futility with general managers that didn't know what they're doing and head coaches that should have never gotten a job. This head coach has turned this young man, who we thought when we drafted him, had a future. It didn't look good for three years, but finally now we've got a coach that's instilled in him confidence, a quarterback that's confident in his head coach, a head coach that's not afraid to get in the faces of his players, and I certainly know this is not a head coach that's lost his locker room. If anything, he's nothing but game respect from every player in that locker room and every person that's involved in new york giant football so i think the future is bright for our football team we've got a tough road ahead saturday night against philadelphia they've had our number for the last five years but the last game of the season week 18 we played our subs they played their starters and we gave them a hell of a football game i'm hoping we go back to steve Spagnola and the undefeated new england patriots when we beat them in the uh, when they beat us the last game of the regular season, but we beat them in the Super Bowl. I'm hoping that history can repeat itself, and I'm looking positive for the future of this football team and all you New York Giant fans that have been out there swearing and cussing and waiting for something good to happen. Your day has come. The future is bright. Let's go. Let's beat Philadelphia on Saturday night. Continue this road to victory. And, Jim, I'm going to let you know, if we get beat Saturday, This is not the last time you hear from me. I will pick up my phone. I will call you next week. I will congratulate the Philadelphia Eagles, but I'm going to give them a heads up. Be wary. We're on our way to stardom soon, and we'll beat them. I'm out. Good
0: night now.